Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Riddle Road Football Podcast. As you know, it is the most important podcast in the universe. Sorry for missing earlier this week, but we were all busy. You were busy, too. You had enough going on listening to your family rather than listen to us ramble on about football. But speaking of football later on, I'll have Roto Pat, not with his rankings, but more just kind of a 2017 fantasy season recap of some of our favorite players, some of our favorite surprises, things we got wrong, yada yada. As you expect, it took two hours to go through all that. Just joking. But first, it is Evan Silva. Evan writes the matchups column over at Rotorworld.com. It is up in week 17, even though, as you know, many of your games are up. But he also posts it throughout the playoffs. I'm excited to talk to him now, and I'm excited to talk to him throughout the playoffs as well. Evan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well, man. Um, glad to finally be done with the final regular season matchups column. I'll be writing matchups columns throughout the NFL playoffs. Lots of daily fantasy to be played. Uh, also, today I started working on our um, our free agent list, uh-huh. uh, which is was a very popular uh, to- resource tool for uh, for people to use to see whose uh, whose contracts are up. Um, and I'll also include uh, the players' ages. Uh, this year, next to their names, people are always surprised at how young or old certain players are. Um, and then we're going to jump into draft coverage. Hopefully, we can do some uh, some great draft podcasts uh, this year, kind of like we did last year. For sure, for sure. Uh, all right, let's get it going. Um, I know nothing about this NFL season. I will come out and say that because honesty is the best policy. That's what I was always told. So Evan actually... Not is... the season, the week. <laughs> this week, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Okay, Matthew Stafford is the first name, Evan, you wanted to talk about. He faces the Green Bay Packers, a Green Bay Packers team that is out of the playoffs, a Green Bay Packers team that has gotten torched at times in their secondary. So tell me about Matthew Stafford this week. Yeah, so the Lions seem very committed to playing all their starters this week. And if you zoom out and think about – like what incentive they have to do that. It does make sense because Jim Caldwell is still playing for his job. He can end up this, this season with a pretty good record. They can finish strong and they really should be able to tee off on this Packers team that is holding out anybody with, 
uh, and any sort of injuries and that has really struggled to defend the pass lately. Matthew Stafford also has a great track record against Dom Capers uh, defenses. He's thrown multiple touchdown passes in six straight games against uh, Capers Packers defenses. And in his last uh, three meetings with the Packers, he's been the quarterback two, quarterback six, and quarterback eight on the week. And then if you look at uh, the position that all of his pass catchers are in, all really, really favorable. Uh, the Packers have really struggled against the slot uh, against slot receivers, and I think that this is a game where Golden Tate can come back to life. Eric Ebron has been balling out of control, actually leads the Lions in targets uh, in three straight games, scoring touchdowns. Packers played good uh, uh, tight end defense throughout the season, not as much in the last four or five weeks. Uh, and then Marvin Jones has just crushed the Packers historically i don't think that you know with with all the injuries that the packers have suffered at cornerback i don't think that uh, the packers are going to be able to hang with marvin jones and then theo riddick going up against the packers green bay has allowed the eighth most receptions to running backs and 10th most receiving yards to running backs. so every single one of matthew stafford's pass catchers is in a great spot you don't have to worry about whether whether this game will be uh, at ford field beneath the dome this year, beneath the dome at Ford Field, Matthew Stafford has a 14-3 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. Do we think that the Lions could follow the path of the Bucks, hopefully with more success, in terms of promoting one of their coordinators, i.e., in this case, Terrell Austin, as head coach, just so they don't lose him? Because Terrell Austin's name has come up with head coaching gigs elsewhere. Is that a fair question? I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. I'm just, you know, theorizing here. I think that it would make some sense. You know, they brought in Bob Quinn and he retained Jim Caldwell, which is usually a mix that doesn't necessarily work. You would think that Bob Quinn, if he is going to remove Jim Caldwell and signs point to Jim Caldwell being removed uh, just based on rumors and reports uh, as of December 28th or whatever it is. um, You know, I think that Bob Quinn would probably want to bring in Uh, one of his guys, and he is a former Patriots uh, executive. So my guess is that he would go in that direction. With that said, I mean, Terrell Austin, I think, has maximized the talent uh, that the Lions have had. Uh, We've seen a lot of improvement from individual players on the Lions defense. Darius Slay is getting uh, better every year. Glover Quinn was a good player before he arrived in Detroit. He's become one of the best safeties in the league. Um, Ashawn Robinson you know, they, has improved this year as well. Ashawn Robinson, they've gotten a lot of good snaps out of later round picks like Quandre Diggs. Uh, you remember last year? Um, well, a lot of their defensive linemen, I think, have played to, to their max. Uh, so, I mean, they they like they have suffered a lot of injuries. Could pick up guys off the street. Uh, and those guys will produce. And my sense is that that's the sign of a good defensive yeah. coordinator as to as to how that would translate to becoming a head coach. I'm not really sure. I, I, my sense is that Terrell Austin is pretty respected around the league. But, who, you know, who knows how that would go? The Quandre Diggs one is interesting because there have been times in the past few years we've talked about him as a player we wanted to target and now a move to safety. And he's yep. played quite well, at least when I've watched him. Uh, okay, let's move over to the Tennessee Titans. Talking about Mike Malarkey, former coordinators becoming coaches. Derrick Henry is in line, it seems, to get this start with start with DeMarco Murray ailing. Finally, we 
get to start the DeMarco, or excuse me, the Derrick Henry era. But Evan, it's against the Jacksonville Jaguars, a defense, a run defense that has looked very good at times. Maybe last week against the 49ers were susceptible to the underneath pass. But what do we expect to see from Derrick Henry this weekend? Yeah, one thing that I noticed about the Jaguars defense is that um, a few weeks ago, the, the Colts ran all over them. And so that kind of piqued my interest. Like, was this maybe the, the sign of them uh, starting to show some weakness in run defense? And over the past month, they've given up four and a half yards per carry to opposing running backs. That's one of the worst marks in the league. I think ultimately they are still not, you know, a defense that we point out. And we're like, oh, let's attack the Jaguars. But uh, I think that they are a defense that if we're going to get 25 touches out of a running back against them, we don't because they have not been as dominant in run defense for a month. I mean, that's 75 percent of the season. I'm sorry, 25 percent of the season uh, that we were not like afraid to use a running back against them. And with DeMarco Murray having suffered a third degree MCL tear in his knee, uh, and this is also the same knee that he had trouble with earlier in the season, uh, I would expect a heavy workload for uh, Derrick Henry. Now, the Titans coaching staff uh, is very committed to leaving players' availabilities up to the players. We will often see Delaney Walker play hurt. We'll often We've seen Rashard Matthews play hurt. Uh, and we've more than anyone, we've seen DeMarco Murray play hurt. Uh, DeMarco Murray was acquired by the Titans two seasons ago. He has played in 31 of 31 games uh, since they acquired him, acquired him. This would be his first game missed uh, as a Titan. I My guess, and you know, I'm totally guessing here, is that DeMarco Murray is active on Sunday because their number three back is David Flewellen. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's not a guy that they From? trust. And, and DeMarco Murray... Uh, Toledo, is it? I believe so. I'm, I'm good, Josh. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> what it, was um, was I'm he not. was he the precursor to Kareem Hunt? Yeah, yeah, he was. There we go. Because Kareem Hunt was a four year starter. Yeah. Yep. Um, Sorry to get you off. Of uh, that. So, yeah. So I I think that we are going to see Demarco Murray active, and I think that that's going to take a lot of people off of Derrick Henry, and I think that it will scare me as well. You know, because we have seen so many times this situation play, play out where it looked like DeMarco Murray. How could they even play him? And then he does play, and he ends up leading the team in, in touches and, and uh, playing time. Uh, but I, I, I expect this this to be the week that they put the ball in Derrick Henry's belly over and over and over again uh, against this Jaguars run defense that hasn't been quite as good lately. Let's move on to wide receiver. You mentioned T.Y. Hilton against the Houston Texans. And whenever I talk about T.Y. Hilton, it's one of those situations where you want to get his peaks because he has way more valleys this season, right? I I believe unless things have changed in recent weeks, like there was a time where he hasn't scored in between 9 and 20 points at all this season. Like everything was either below that mark or above that mark. So what what should we see this weekend against the Houston Texans? Texans defense and secondary especially that has purged points this season yeah so if you just go back and look at all the defenses that the Colts have faced recently I mean they faced like a murderer's row of defenses over the last month and a half I mean 
you can look at the the list in in my matchups column, but it's like it's like the Ravens, uh, the Jaguars, um, uh, Pittsburgh when they were still playing at a very high level uh, in terms of pass defense. Uh, I mean, just like five of the best pass defenses in the NFL over their last six games, uh, and so it's really no surprise when you uh, adjust for opponent that Jacoby Brissett has. Uh, tailed off but I think that he finishes strong at home this is another game where the where the, the player is uh, going to be playing in, inside indoors we know that T.Y. Hilton has great home and indoor splits over the course of his career I just think that Jacoby Brissett is going to finish strong uh, and they have been trying to force feed T.Y. Hilton lately he's he's gone through stretches this year with the new quarterback where he's kind of gotten lost in the offense uh, but I mean they have put him like they've been running him on a lot higher percentage routes like long drags and uh, slants recently to try to just get the ball in his hands uh, and he has, has he's delivered in some difficult spots uh, recently so I think that uh, Jacoby Brissett is going to have a good game and I think that T.Y. Hilton can be a byproduct of that if you look at how the Texans have defended against speedy perimeter receivers that's really where they have struggled uh, most they have given up the eighth most completions of 20 plus yards in the NFL this year, and they've given them up the most completions of 40 plus yards. 17 completions of 40 plus yards over the course of the season. I think the T.Y. Hilton can exploit that. I'm going to ask you another unfair question. What is your opinion of Jacoby Brissett heading into this off season? Because most likely Andrew Luck comes back hopefully healthy. Most likely Jacoby Brissett is a better starter on paper than ev- well than some you know openings some teams might have out there. Do you think that the Colts likely hold on to him? I mean, again, this is just complete guesses. Do you think that he has earned uh, at least what a third or a fourth round pick to be dealt and start elsewhere? What? What are kind of your expectations heading into the offseason here for Jacoby Brissett? So I think that Jacoby Brissett has some flaws. His main flaw is that, uh, well, first of all, he is played behind atrocious pass protection. But at, at like very often, he has exacerbated the problems with his pass protection because he um, struggles, to, I would say maybe struggles to process information quickly. Uh, he definitely ends up holding onto the ball for too long. It's not as bad as Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah. But but it, it has been a problem for him. And so I think that, you know, he's taken the most sacks in the NFL. Uh, I think that a good percentage of them, I mean, it would be hard to pin down a number, but I think that a lot of them are on him. Uh, but he's also been put in a very difficult spot. They lost Jack Muhort early in the process. Ryan Kelly played barely half the season. Um, you know, they, and they rotated at all the other positions except for left tackle. Uh, so, you know, it was just a revolving door of offensive linemen all season for the Colts. Um, I think that he's shown enough that if you were going to rank the quarterbacks in the NFL right now, he'd be a top 25 guy. Um, He's got a good arm. He is athletic, uh, and he's shown some playmaking ability. And, um, you know, he, I mean, especially against weaker opponents, which the Texans are, uh, he has definitely shown an ability to really heat them up. Uh, so, and I think that 
it really comes down to his contract situation. So he was a rookie last year, so he's on a four-year deal, right? And he's at the he's at the minimum, and so you have him at the minimum for two more years. So you definitely, no matter what happens with Andrew Luck, you keep him for the next season, unless you can get like a first-round pick for him, which they they probably couldn't. They can maybe get. You know, if a team gets really aggressive, like a second or like a a, a day two pick, um, but I think that I think you absolutely keep him for uh, 2018, and then you start to make decisions, and that that will come down to you know, d- does he get on the field anymore? Is Andrew Luck back to 100 percent, et cetera, et cetera? Let's close it out with Antonio Gates, the ageless one, put up a great performance last week in a very good matchup. Meanwhile, he has another strong matchup this weekend against the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, clearly Antonio Gates was underutilized by the Chargers all season long. Uh, they were playing this second-year tight end by the name of Hunter Henry. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't know what they were doing. I couldn't year. tell that that was starting off with a joke, but now I finally got it after that. There we go. Um, yeah, so finally <laughs> they, they unleashed the 38-year-old tight end and... Uh, I mean, he was awesome last week. He yeah. looked great. He has legitimately fresh legs. Uh, what do you have? Six for 81 and a touchdown or something like that. Um, and now he gets maybe the best or one of the best tight end matchups in the NFL against the Raiders. Raiders have allowed the most catches in yards to tight ends in the league. Raiders are a dead team. The Chargers are not. The Chargers are, uh, I believe, entering week 17 around 30%. Uh, chance to get into the playoffs. They need to get some help. They need to win this game. Uh, Melvin Gordon is going to try to play on a high ankle sprain. Um, Hunter Henry obviously is going to be out again. He's on injured reserve. And Keenan Allen has a a sneaky difficult matchup in the slot uh, where the Raiders have been really stout all season. So you can kind of like, it's kind of a funnel situation really for Antonio Gates who played 76% of the snaps Last week, I think we're going to get another eight, nine targets out of him. He's got as strong touchdown probability as you know any tight end in the league, except for maybe like you know Gronk, uh, because Philip Rivers looks for him in the red zone. And if Melvin Gordon can't do anything on the ground, trying to play on that high ankle sprain, I mean they're going to have to throw the ball to move the ball. And Antonio Gates, I mean he's, I think he's got a shot at like ten targets. Thanks so much, Evan. And by the way, William, Wyatt, Wesley, Wade, Wayne, Walter, Wren, Warren. I might have called you up before, but if not, if you enjoyed it, any point of this podcast, of this program, you should subscribe. And if you already subscribed, leave a rating and review. I know Evan Self appreciates it. I know I appreciate it. And I know Roto Pat appreciates it as well. And just after this, here comes Pat himself. And welcome back to the podcast back here with Roto Pat, Patrick Doherty, Patrick Bennett Doherty. And <laughs> we're going to do something a bit different. Pat has his rankings up on RotoWorld.com, but most of your, if not like 99% of your fantasy seasons are over. As I talked with Evan Silva in the first half of the show about certain plays, now let's talk about players, Pat, that we enjoyed watching, that we were surprised by. This season, and this could be a very, very long list, Pat. This is a topic, as you can tell from my introduction, that I proposed about five minutes ago. But let's do it. Yeah? Let's do it. 
Uh, okay, um, then we'll, we'll start with, why don't you, I'll give you the floor. How about that? Uh, there's my, a number of names we could choose from, but Pat, let's start off maybe with a surprise. <clears throat> oh, you see, I'm in uh, mid-season form here. I can barely talk. Um, this is your flu uh, game. Yeah, it's my flu game. Um, biggest surprise this season, I mean, you'd probably have to go with Josh McCown, wouldn't you not? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe not like the most like impactful surprise because it's still – you know, ultimately not a good team, but a guy who couldn't keep his collarbone healthy, you know, was told to retire by Hugh Jackson, told to go into coaching by Hugh Jackson, and then went out and was probably a top 16 quarterback this year. And, you know, kept some, for fantasy purposes, you know, made kept some guys, made some guys relevant, uh, kept Robbie Anderson relevant after last year's strong finish, uh, surprisingly made Jermaine Curse relevant, um, you know, had Austin Severian Jenkins relevant for a little bit. And, uh, I mean, he was a guy, I mean, I was definitely in the summer, like, team, the Jets could be one of the worst teams Ever. of all time this season. Yeah. So, I would say, uh, relative to expectations, Josh McCown, probably the biggest surprise of the season. Uh, another guy is no, 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 to no, keep no, talking. No, 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 not yet. Not I'm going to keep yet. talking, Josh. All right. So, I, I think... Why do you was... defy me? <laughs> and this just occurred to me. I feel like we, we should try to rewind maybe four or five months ago and figure out why it was such a surprise. Yeah. And I think you mentioned it with the jets, right? I, there was so much group think that this is going to be one of the worst rosters on paper that we've ever seen. I don't think we gave enough to probably the new offensive coordinator uh, in terms of incorporating his style. And that's fine. I mean, we just hadn't seen it yet on the field. Um, and also losing someone like Quincy Nunwa early on, I believe it was with the preseason, then, I mean, it's not like Quincy Nunes was a, a bona fide wide receiver one, but that just, you know, depletes the wide receivers, the pass catchers around him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we could have seen this coming. It was nice to see it coming. And I wonder if this does extend his career for at least one more season. Any insight on that, Pat? Probably not as a starter. I mean, this is like kind of like a classic, like fairy tale type season. And, you know, the, the biggest knock on McCown has always been that he's like a little too fearless, like always gets hurt. And he, he avoided that, you know, most of the year until the final month of the season where that did finally catch up on him. Uh, he's, what, he's what, 38 or 39. I mean, I think I, I even as a number two quarterback, I feel like he's maybe a bit of a stretch at that age and with his injury history. But, yeah, I would be. I, even despite as we're talking about what a pleasant surprise Josh McCown's season was, he probably shouldn't have been a starter anyway this year, and he definitely shouldn't next year. So, but I wouldn't mean he. The fact that you know, he was told to go into coaching and still came back and right. played leads me to believe he probably will come back uh, another year. Yeah, and I, I believe he even was close to interviewing for those coaching positions last year. Uh, okay, I'll give you a name, Pat, and his name is Adam Thielen. We we yeah. saw glimpses of Adam Thielen last year. But and I, I'm not even talking about fantasy points here, but Adam Thielen on the field right now is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. And this is a team with Stefan Diggs on the field, who all of us really like when he's healthy and think he's a very talented receiver when healthy. But Adam Thielen was extremely consistent, either on the outside and on the inside. Yeah, sure. He had a couple of fantasy weeks that were downers. But I mean, every single player does, unless your name is Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. Todd Curley, so on and so forth. I'm excited to see what Adam Thielen does moving forward. I'm excited to see what happens with that quarterback situation moving forward. But as we have seen, as he has played with two quarterbacks this year, maybe we'll play with a third next year. 
uh, he will produce no matter what. And it, it's crazy, his catch radius for the style of player that he is. Like, he makes inaccurate off-target passes look easy at times. And they can also win after the catch as well. So, uh, to me, again, as we sit here right now, if we're talking about dynasty purposes, I think Adam Thielen is a, a, a top 10 name as of this moment. Yeah, I mean, he he's a surprise. Even you know, last year he had almost a thousand yards, right. but even in the context of that, you know, no one, <clears throat> he would have been a guy like you, like the best case scenario for him this year would have been like, you know, maybe getting like 70, getting those like 75 yards he didn't get last year and like getting to a thousand. I don't think anyone thought he'd be someone to blow by a thousand, you know, establish himself as a le- legit top 10 receiver, you know, both on the, the real life field, the season and, and in fantasy, you know, shockingly consistent in fantasy. And like you said, you kind of help put it in context too. I mean, doing not only taking the next step, but then doing it with Case Keenum, um, it's pretty hard to see coming. I would say it was a surprise, mm-hmm. something I was very surprised by. Um, Any other names so, you want to yeah. rattle off? Another guy who came to mind. I mean, it's smaller sample size, but I mean, Kenyon Drake was a guy yeah. who kind of always got pegged as like couldn't stay healthy. <clears throat> Definitely a committee back and. To him to come out in like a four or five games, you know, like true workhorse usage and production, um, I certainly found surprising. I mean, I'm very happy about. Uh, I like when guys break out like that. Yeah, but he was a guy. Yeah, I mean, I thought his athletic profile <clears throat> and just the way I thought he'd be forever like pigeonholed to be used by NFL teams would have like made like he'd be like stuck in like like a best case scenario. He'd be like stuck in like Duke Johnson land kind Just of. To say that name. Yeah, so it's been a he's been another really pleasant surprise. Pat has a sinus infection, if you can't tell. I do. I'm trying. I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thought it would be easier to talk. There's only so much case. I can do in the editing process after this. Uh, I think we should close out this singular topic with Todd Gurley. Uh, there was a lot of trash thrown around Todd Gurley this off season, um, and you know, I wouldn't say necessarily rightfully so, but I, I think that his career was trending downward and many were obviously last year with the St. Louis Durant, well, the LA Rams last year, excuse me. Um, but if I could rewind, painful, a few months, Josh. if I could rewind a few months, there, there's a number of things that we could not have known at that time that played a major factor in the entire Rams season, right? One, Sean McVay being, and we saw him with the Washington Redskins and how good he was there. But this is a different roster. It's a different team. It's his first year. It was a team that was not good the year before. And it was a new position for him. Yet, he probably coached his best season ever. Two, the offensive line, right? At some points in 2016, if one individual went down on that Rams offensive line or missed a block or whatever, the entire offensive line was awful. Uh, We'll get to this later on. But healthy, good offensive lines are one of the biggest game changers in a full 16, 17 game season plus into the playoffs. And the Rams had that almost all season long. And then three was the usage. I mean, it was complete workhorse usage, not only in the running game, but also in the passing game. So I think Todd Gurley is an example. And I I think Evan Silva and I talked about this prior to the season talent, like Todd Gurley showed as a rookie doesn't just disappear. Right. And so we saw it again this year and there was just a little blip on the radar in between uh, those seasons as well. Yeah, I mean, he had basically every variable go in his favor. I mean, not to knock him at all, um, but like, yeah, it was a surprise in that uh, 
you know, you figured if like one or two of those things turned around, he would get his career back on the right track, but it would probably have taken like all three or four of those things to turn around <clears throat> for him to kind of like make this like leap to like true sur- superstardom this year. And they all did happen. I mean, we were probably all pretty bullish on Sean McVay, but it was a little hard. You know, you never know. Like Jay Gruden's a pretty, uh, you know, in my opinion, a decent, kind of an underrated offensive mind. You know, I didn't know how long it would take for him to make the adjustment. Sean McVay is, you know, like his own boss. And uh, so we were bullish, but probably didn't expect, you know, literal greatest coach ever, which he is now. And I, I, th- over- I, think, I, I think what you said was right on the money in terms of, it's a perfect situation. And I would say that for the entire Rams offense this entire season, right? It was a perfect situation for all of them to succeed. And that's, you know, not a negative, a knock on anyone and especially where they're at, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you have a perfect situation, you still have to take advantage of it. And as we've been sitting here talking about it, I just remembered, I tweeted something to this effect a few weeks ago, but remember when Jeff Fisher made Benny Cunningham his passing down back over Todd Gurley? Um, <laughs> How it's great the coaching was last year for the Rams. Um, so yeah, Todd Gurley deserved uh, a lot better, and he got better than basically he probably could have ever dreamed. And, and he took advantage of it. And Good we've for talked you, Todd. about it a lot so far, but like finding an edge of getting to the line with 25 seconds, talking to your quarterback for 10 seconds as he's just like standing there and watching the field is unique stuff. Like we watch yeah. a lot of football, and we don't see that type of thing. And just finding an edge at however old Sean McVay is, is pretty incredible. Um, I think I kind of used my favorite play already, and that was Adam Thielen. I mean, there's a number of others, tons of rookies, and there always are. But, uh, Pat, then I'll hand it over to you. Any of your favorite plays of the year? Oh, I was going to say all the ex-Jeff Fisher quarterbacks starting for playoff teams are probably one, two, and three for me. Um it's always about Jeff Fisher. It always comes back to him. He's the center of the NFL universe, Josh. My favorite player was, for sure, while he was still healthy, was Deshaun Watson. You know, Watching a guy like that coming in and like wrecking the league, especially after you know, all the negativity around him in the preseason. And, which, yeah, I took, took part in that a little bit. I found it very alarming that the it ended up just being bad coaching, I guess, but I found it very alarming that Deshaun Watson could not beat out Tom Savage in the preseason. So, and I was trans, you know, completely fixated on the fact how like, um, how low his uh, velocity was, you know, like almost historically low for a quarterback prospect. So I was kind of part of the, the Deshaun Watson truthing brigade and he came out and, you know, just wrecked the league. So that, that was awesome. One of my favorite things. And, my favorite player, though, probably Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Uh, just watch a guy, like, on that kind of usage, I mean, how rare it is for a guy to, like, turn in, like, basically workhorse numbers on, like, 12 to 15 weekly touches. And, to, like, you know, in fantasy, you didn't even have to worry about it. You just knew he was going to do it. Like, just so rare and so fun. And so Kamara, probably my favorite player of the year. My and it was cool to see player. the Saints offense, like, really shift, right? I mean, we've seen yeah. Drew Brees historically throw the ball 30-plus times every single game and carry that offense in many ways. I mean, Mark Ingram was freaking benched halfway through last season or down the stretch, right? And this year, yes. he's like a pivotal piece once they deal Adrian Peterson. How often do you deal a free agent that you just signed in the offseason just a handful of weeks into the season? But obviously, very, very correct move. And then – you know, being able to create two fantasy relevant running backs, Pat, it's something we rarely see happen 
Kyle Shanahan did it with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. Once Kyle Shanahan left, it didn't no longer existed. But maybe not even to this level where you have Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, two honestly different types of backs. But even what they drafted Alvin Kamara for, which was that Darren Sproles, Reggie Bush role, he exceeded those expectations tremendously. Yeah, when you see a team having two fantasy relevant backs, it's usually like one's like a low end RB one, you know, the guy who like wins the touch battle and like gets the touchdown opportunities. And then one's like, you know, like usually like a pass catching RB2 type to have one team. The Saints didn't just have two RB1s. They were basically two top eight RB1s. Uh, I would venture to say, I mean, we we've lost all perspective of history, basically. But I would say almost unprecedented in fantasy history to have one team have like two top eight running backs. So, yes, an extremely unusual, unique uh, situation in, in the Saints backfield this year. And again, we somewhat could have seen it coming this offseason, right? Dealing Brandon Cooks, so you don't really have a second receiver, second pass catcher on the team, and then investing a future second-round pick in a running back plus an offseason signing in Adrian Peterson, right? So again, if we could rewind six months ago, we somewhat uh, could have seen this happening. And we should probably close on Rex Burkhead, Pat. Yeah, I mean, once (laughs) finally given a role, once finally given an opportunity— he basically was the Garrett Blunt plus, right? Plus receiving capabilities. So shame on you, NFL, for allowing the New England Patriots to sign Rex Burkhead once again. It, uh, it is honestly, it's still, it's remarkable how often this still happens. Right? I mean, not to pretend like we're all like savants in the fantasy community, but it still happens all too frequently. The like, the kind of like, you know, real serious fantasy heads will identify a good player. Right. They get underutilized forever and they do finally get a chance. And then lo and behold, they are actually good. Hey, and so. look what happened to Marvin Jones, you know, coming out of the draft. Yes. With the Cincinnati yes. Bengals. That's another name that a lot of people really, really liked. And I believe Marvin Jones is the top 12, top 15 receiver this season for the rest of the year, uh, for the entire year, I should say. All right, Pat. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks for joining me under the weather. And thanks to Evan Silva for joining me in the first half of this podcast. If you would be so kind, leave us a rating and review, or at the very least, subscribing to this podcast. And we'll see you all and talk to you all next week. Later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.